Well, last weekend was the AFL Grand Final, and it was an absolutely cracking game. Geelong charged out of the blocks, and they never looked back, thrashing the, th- the swans by an eye-watering margin. It was a few hours of pure delight if you're a Cat supporter. But there was a moment as the teams made their way out from under the, the stands that eclipsed the game itself. As Joel Selwood, the Cat skipper, came out, he took into his arms Levi Ablett. Levi is the three-year-old son of Gary Ablett Jr., a football great and a former Geelong player. But despite his remarkable pedigree, Levi will never play a game of footy in his life. Born with a rare degenerative condition, Levi will never be able to stand up, he'll never be able to walk, he'll never be able to talk, and he has a limited life expectancy. And in an incredibly moving moment, the the cat skipper took little Levi in his arms and walked through the banner, giving the little boy a few moments of joy and his parents an experience that they will never forget. I think the look on Levi's face says it all, doesn't it? It was a moment that reminded all who watch on of what truly matters. It's people, kindness, love, giving of ourselves to one another. And you can't help but commend Joel Selwood. Amidst the hype and the glitz and the glamour, the the sponsorship deals, corporate commitments, public parades... Amidst everything that could so easily distract and consume him as a high-profile sportsman, he kept sight of what truly matters in life and in a very simple way gave of himself to put a smile on the face of a very sick little boy. It's no mean feat keeping sight of what truly matters. It's no mean feat keeping the main thing the main thing. It's hard for us as individuals in a fast-paced life full of distractions to remember that we are eternal creatures whose true hope lies beyond that which is visible. And it's hard for us as the church, as God's people, not to get sidetracked or bogged down in secondary things, but to remember that we have a purpose as workers in God's kingdom to preach the gospel to a world that is perishing. It is hard to keep our central purpose central and it's hard to stay united in our purpose. And this is exactly the challenge that faced the early church in our passage this morning. The church in Jerusalem had been growing at an exponential rate. It had gone from around 120 men to 5,000 men in a very short space of time. And that number didn't include women and children. That's an enormous number of people for the apostles to care for. And in the melting pot that was Jerusalem, that's a huge blend of peoples and backgrounds and ages and ideals to come together as one. Now the gospel going forth and touching lives was exactly what was meant to happen. Jesus had said to his apostles back in chapter 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as the apostles were faithful to his command and preached the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of his spirit, people would respond in repentance and faith. 
the church would expand. But expansion brings challenges. Challenges of myriad forms, but challenges that have the potential to threaten the purpose and the unity of the church. And this is what we see in Acts 6. In verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now the Hellenists and the Hebrews were both both Jewish groups, but that's where the similarities ended. The Hebraic Jews were born and raised in Israel. They spoke Aramaic. They were stricter in their observance of the law and were perhaps tempted to consider themselves superior to other Jews. The elite, if you like, the, the purists. And then there were the Hellenistic Jews, those who came from all over the Roman Empire, whose primary language was Greek and were shaped by the culture of their hometowns. They were Jewish but their expression of it naturally took on different flavours. Exactly the kind of folk that purists would look down on or reject. So you've got two groups who were quite different from one another, previously shared no great love for each other, would have probably avoided the other, now through faith in Jesus Christ brought together as one people. This is the power of the gospel. This is the wonder of what was achieved through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is the incredible wisdom of our great God bringing all men together under one head, Jesus. But it's also one of the greatest challenges for us, the church, this side of heaven. It comes as no surprise, probably, that issues arose in the early church as it expanded and that these issues arose along cultural lines. We see that a complaint came from the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. In a time before Centrelink or the pension, widows were extremely vulnerable and were dependent on others for their basic needs. And yet the Jews and then the Christians took caring for the vulnerable very seriously. Our Saviour himself said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And yet here something had gone wrong and the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked. Most commentators think this is purely accidental. Uh, In a rapidly expanding church under the leadership of just 12 men, it would have been an immense challenge to keep track of the daily distribution along with everything else that they were responsible for. We've already been told in chapter 4 that the believers were one in heart and mind, that they were selling what they had to allow it to be distributed to those in need. So it's difficult, I think, to paint this as malicious in any way. And yet this oversight is happening and there's a serious edge to it because it has the potential to be the spark that burns the forest down. It has the potential to be the factor that reignites the former animosity between Hebrew and Hellenist, fracturing the unity of the church and destroying it before it's even out of its infancy. 
As one commentator writes, Satan loves to use an unintentional wrong to begin a conflict. In fact, Satan will use any means he possibly can to begin a church-dividing, church-destroying conflict. So how do the apostles respond to this situation? In verses 2 to 4, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The response is fascinating. It's clear, firstly, that they take very seriously the well-being of the widows and set about taking immediate, concrete action to see that the most vulnerable in their midst are cared for. But it's also clear that the apostles see the bigger picture. They see the very real threat this issue poses, both to the primary purpose of the church and to the unity of the church. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. The apostles had a very clear commission from God to spread the gospel, to preach the word of God throughout the city and beyond. That was to be their primary focus. Did that mean they didn't care for fellow believers in practical ways? Well, of course not. We've already seen them healing the sick and demonstrating extraordinary generosity to ensure that people's practical needs are met. But as the church expanded to the point where they could no longer oversee all aspects themselves, the apostles needed to delegate. They saw to it that others were appointed to oversee practical ministries and they recommitted themselves to their primary purpose, prayer and preaching the word. David Jackman has a fantastic comment about this. He says, Throughout the New Testament, the two indisputable marks of Christian reality are this, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and love toward the saints. Saving faith and love for fellow believers can't be separated from each other, but they do have to be distinguished from each other. They belong together as part of the whole response to the gospel, But of course, meeting social needs is not the gospel. It will flow from the gospel. It witnesses to the authenticity of the gospel. But it is not the gospel itself. The Apostles' Commission was to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, that salvation is found in no other name. After all, For a world living under God's rightful judgment, how could they call on the one they have not believed in? And how could they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how could they hear without someone preaching to them? Preaching and teaching the word of God is imperative. It was the primary focus of the apostles and it's the primary focus of the church today. For salvation is found in no other name than Jesus Christ our Lord. And if the church drifts from this purpose, from a central focus on the gospel and the word of God, then what does it become? 
just another relief agency or NGO or social club. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be front and centre to all that we are and all that we do as the church. And the apostles knew this. As the church expanded, there would be more and more issues like this that would vie for their attention. Some issues very important, perhaps some not so much, but issues which had the potential to get them sidetracked, distracted, labouring over things that were not the main priority, spending time and energy in areas other than prayer and preaching God's word. And the moment that this happened, the moment that they took their eyes off the central focus, would be the moment the church started to drift from being the people of God, the people that God would have them be. They needed steadfast devotion to the primary purpose of the church to ensure that the the main thing stayed the main thing. And so the apostles delegate. But in this process of delegating, we see that they take the unity of the church very seriously. From verse 3, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The apostles called the disciples to choose seven men to take over the responsibility of distributing food. And these men had to have three prerequisites. They had to be men of good repute, although this doesn't come out in the NIV translation. They had to be men full of the spirit and men who are wise. Men of the highest calibre were chosen to take on this ministry. And it's no coincidence that all seven of them have Hellenistic names. Who better to address the Hellenist concerns that their widows were being overlooked than Hellenists? Wise, godly men who would oversee the care of the vulnerable and put out the spark of division before it had chance to take hold. The apostles lay their hands on these men and pray for them, commissioning them for the task. And so, we're told, the word of God spread. Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem And a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's a wonderful outcome to what had the potential to be a church-dividing, church-destroying issue. One commentator summarises like this. The apostles' priorities are reaffirmed and reinforced. They are committed to the ministry of the word and prayer. That is always the centre of every church if it's going to be a gospel church. The preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, prayer, these are the very heart of our life together. But the compassionate love that flows from preaching God's word and seeking his face in prayer must be properly channeled to meeting needs. And the contentious difficulty is solved now because the church is united. 
with a whole new group of uh, spirit-filled servants who are recognised and appointed to the task. The challenge is met, and the power inherent in the gospel is once again demonstrated as the word of God spreads and multiplies. Praise God. You know, as I've thought about this passage over the last couple of weeks, I've wondered at how many times in this church's 100-plus year history challenges like this have been faced. It's amazing to think that our origins were as a Sunday school in a paddock in 1908. It's amazing to think of the, the growth and the change that has happened over those years to get to where we are today. And it's, it's amazing to wonder at how many lives have been impacted in some way by God's people in this place, proclaiming the gospel message over that time. But I've had to wonder too at the, the sheer number of challenges each pastor must have faced as the congregation under their care grew at the number of potential distractions and diversions they faced as they sought to lead God's people as a body wholly devoted to prayer and God's word. And I wonder if we were to ask any one of those pastors how fervently they prayed and toiled for the unity of their congregations. Unity is a body. Unity in gospel-centred purpose. I wonder how many of them would shed a tear. We have an enemy who would love to see nothing more than God's people divided and destroyed. Would love to see them focusing on anything but prayer and the preaching of God's word. And an enemy who's actively at work in every generation to try achieve those ends. Because it's in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that the power of God is demonstrated. And in the unity of his people that we witness to the gospel's truthfulness. And the challenge to be united as one and united in purpose remains today. We are many in number. We have a great span of ages, cultures, social situations and personal needs, church backgrounds, traditions, preferences and expectations of the church and its leadership. There is fuel for division everywhere. There is fuel for distraction everywhere. And our passage this morning poses a couple of questions for us, I think. Firstly, will we devote ourselves to keeping the main thing the main thing? Will we commit ourselves as a congregation to keeping prayer and God's word, prayer and the gospel, central to all that we are and all that we do? And will we support our leadership as they labour to do just that? Will we support them by encouraging them, praying for them, And stepping up in practical ways, just as those seven men did, to meet needs as we see them arise, realising that our leaders can't do everything and shouldn't be expected to do everything. 
Rather, realising that we all have a part to play with the gifts and abilities that God has given each one in ensuring our central purpose of prayer and God's word remains central. And finally, will we devote ourselves to unity? Will we work to bind us together as a whole, as Christ's body in this place, Or will we give in to the temptation to pull away, to tear apart, to allow division to creep in, or for the sake of our own interests or agendas or preferences? See, division is easy. Unity is hard. Unity requires work, sacrifice and selflessness. It requires a commitment to something greater than self. And yet unity is precisely the thing our Lord prayed for before he went to the cross. From John 17, May they be one, Father, as we are one. May they be brought to complete unity that the world may know you have sent me. It's no mean feat to keep the main thing the main thing. And yet by being united in purpose and united as one people in Christ, we witness to the truth and the power of the gospel. So may we be a people united in keeping prayer and God's word our central purpose and a people united as one body taking the gospel to a world in need.